0: And before the True Crime Podcast begins, a word from our sponsor. Support for the True Crime Podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming champions of the world. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your crown jewels. Manscaped just launched the fourth-generation trimmer, the lawnmower, 4.0. 4.0. You heard that right, the 4.0. Join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code sean S H S-H-A-U-N 20, at manscaped.com. Manscaped engineered the ultimate groin and body trimmer by focusing on intelligent functionality and an incredibly comfortable grooming experience. The fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. I now feel comfortable shaving my boys. Get twenty percent off plus free shipping with the code sean20, Shaun Twenty, S H A U N Twenty at Manscaped.com. That's twenty percent off and free shipping at Manscaped.com with the code sean20, Shaun Twenty, S H A U N Twenty at Manscaped.com. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job, in this case, the nut job, at Manscape.com. All right, you're in for a treat. <laughs> Tug of War was in prison in Jamaica. I know we've had a couple of people on who were in prison in Jamaica and it is hard-hitting shit that goes off in, in these places. It blows away the standard UK prison conditions, let's just say. Yeah. Tugawa also though was a leader of the dance hall scene music and he has his own channel Still am Still am We're going to put all of his links in the description box below this video Thank you So if you want to go over and subscribe and check out his tunes, we urge you to do so We like it when people support our guests Huge thank you for coming in today welcome,
1: pleasure to be here
0: What is your craziest story (laughs) from the Jamaican prison experience? Oh
1: my god, there's so many
0: There's so
1: many I think the the whole the way the place is is such a third world. It's a third world country, and there's no there's no toilets in your cell. There's no water in your cell. You don't get no cutlery to eat your food. If someone doesn't bring you in a container to eat out of, you're eating out of your hands. No knives, no forks, no plates, nothing. And one of the most daunting things is. A thing you get introduced to as soon as you go into the prison is a thing called a, a pisgial. They, Pis, they refer pis-pial. to it as a pisgial, which is, and that's your pisgial for the rest of your sentence. And that is, uh, you have to go and find it yourself. You have to go and find, just like you find any girl, you have to go and find this girl. Which, and this girl is a <laughs> two litre bottle of, um, how uh, either a two litre bottle of Pepsi, water, bleach, something big enough for you to piss into and you cut a hole in the top of it, big enough for you to piss in it, and you tie a bit of string at the top of it, and you bang that into the corner of your cell and hang it up, and that's called your piscial. So that's what you piss into. You're not allowed to shit in your cell, so you can't do a number two in your cell. But you're allowed to piss, of course. Now, every morning, you have to go and empty out your piscial and clean it out with 400 prisoners. So you got so basically you got a queue up with four hundred angry prisoners in the morning, and everyone's got two liters of piss in their hand, and that can be a very dramatic type way to start your day,
2: so to speak. <laughs> that
1: that's the most like
2: when I saw it when I first saw it
1: my first day getting locked up there I I um. Obviously, they, they let me know the situation and how it goes down and everything. And I'm looking, and I looked over, and I could see the, the hut. Where it's like the toilets. And there's only, like, three sinks. And I looked over, and I saw... On my section, there's, like, 380, 400 prisoners. Call it 400 prisoners. And I saw 400 prisoners rushing, queuing up, with two litres of piss in their hand At 8 o'clock in the morning, I was like, what the fuck is this? So I said, you know what, I ain't going out there now. It's too busy. I ain't standing out there with fucking hundreds of people with piss in their hand i I'm not a morning person, first and foremost. (laughs) First and foremost, I'm not a morning person. So to stand outside (laughs) with doing these sort of things in the morning is gonna really upset me in the first place. But like I said, okay, let me let it die down a bit. So my routine was I'd keep an eye on the toilet or keep an eye on where they're washing it and wait for the queue to die down a bit because I don't want to be queuing up with so many people with piss in their hands. And I could see. Where did
0: you get your bottle from first? Oh, where
1: did I get? I think it's, it's either you get it from a prisoner or you just find someone who's got one that's that hasn't been used or thrown away, gotcha. not been pissed into, but yeah. like a, a drink, like someone who's had a bottle of Coke or a big bottle of water yeah. or whatever it is like that,
0: you know? Yeah, yeah, gotcha. Mm-hmm. So you're looking at it and you're thinking, I'm not going to go up and do this, yeah. right? Yeah, what happens next? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you you got you, to, the, the toughest time in the prison is the first couple of weeks. Yeah. The first couple of weeks, I'm sure you know yourselves, the toughest adapting, time to adapt in yeah. is the toughest time. Now, I was in the jail for two weeks before I got sentenced. But the jail is a whole different experience to the prison. Mm. So the jail can actually be more dangerous than the prison as well because there's so many unstable people in the jail. They, they, um, they can't afford solicitors. So it's not like over here. So there's guys in the jail that's been there for five, six years in the jail. And don't even know when their court case is coming, let alone uh, can't afford a solicitor. So if they can't afford a solicitor, they can't get a court case. They can't mm. get a court case. They don't even know their destiny. They can't even find out how long they're going to be locked up for. Mm. So they're like sitting duck in the jailhouse. These turn into
0: really frustrated human beings. Yeah, because everyone's settled in the prison more, aren't they? In, yeah. in the
1: prison, at least yeah. you know, OK, I'm doing... I'm do, you got your time.
0: Everyone knows what they're doing. Yeah, yeah.
1: In the the prison I was, it's all mixed, so there's no segregating. You've got life sentences with small sentences like myself. And it's just... so. But at least they know what they're doing. In the jailhouse, you don't know whether you're coming or going.
0: It's the uncertainty that just plays with your head. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. It causes a lot of tension and fights. Exactly. Exactly. I like what you
1: say. Human beings, when their back's against the wall, Mm -hmm. they act certain ways. Yeah. Yeah.
0: All right, so... Going back to the, what was happening with the piss. Yeah. <laughs> you said it, it, it can become a matter of life or death and you actually yeah. witnessed something. Yes,
1: I did, I did. I could what? see that, the reason why I even bought, because you asked me what was some of them. I always remember the piss, girl, because it was so ridiculous to me.
2: Yeah.
1: It was so ridiculous that you haven't got toilets or water in a cell. I mean, how can you lock up, four, um, you're talking about, they lock up like four or five human beings in one cell. So there's no, there's no two in a cell. First of all, there's no such thing as two people in a cell. It's not allowed. So you've got either um, one. If you're a long sentence, so you get the cell for yourself. Mm. So you've got either one, three, four, or five. So that's five bottles of piss hanging up in that small little cell, which is smaller than this little section we're even talking in here. So you'd have, like, three on the floor and two hammocks if it's a five-people cell. Yeah. Or three on the floor and one hammock if it's a four-people cell. Yeah. And so, seeing how the setup is, that is just, it's like, it's designed, basically, the prison's designed for the people to kill each other. Mm. That's how I see it. And this stuck with me, the piss so much, because that was one of the, like, really, you're making human beings do that first thing in the morning? I mean, I, I thought it was just atrocious. I, I've never seen anything like it in my life. And like what you said, I could see it happening because everyone, there's some young kids, so I'm on the ground floor of the section. I'm on a section called South Block in Spanish Town Prison, which I told you consists of about 400 people. Yeah. On the ground, I'm on the ground floor, so you've got the ground floor, the first floor and the second floor. You've got some younger kids, not young, about my age, you've got some young kids on the second floor. When In the morning, I see them running really fast. Because they're on the second floor, they're, they're, they're moving really fast in the morning to go and wash out their pisquial, And I could see them, he's moving too fast with this bottle of two litre piss in his hand. He's sprinting, literally. He's doing a semi-Hussein bolt <laughs> with two litres of piss in his hands. <laughs> and I'm watching him for myself because he's walking by and I'm like, you're going to fall over one day. That's going to go wrong. Oh, shit. And one day it did. One day it went wrong. He's coming down, he's running, he slips, he falls, he drops his piss and it, go, it all goes all on the floor outside about two or three cells. Couple of them are life sentences, and the whole section got upset. It was early in the morning, and they beat the guy to death. They beat him to death. They carried him out. We never saw him again. What the hell, man? Yeah, and things like that. It's like an everyday, <sighs> everyday thing in there.
0: Do you have like flashbacks, nightmares, things like that? When you when you first got, out, imagine, did you like, was it you're a bit like fucking hell on on edge? Yeah. Because you're just like steeled, aren't you, constantly for battle and anything could happen?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think even it changed me for life. Yeah. Changed me for life. I think it's, it's, I can't, it's in certain ways, certain aspects of how it affected me is embedded in me up to today. I can
0: imagine, yeah. You
1: know, um, I wouldn't say it's, it's, it's for the bad or the wrong, I mean for the good or the bad, sorry. Because I look at it as like a university of life. I don't actually regret it. I don't regret anything I've done in life. And um, I I learn from it. I learn a lot from it. And it makes you the person you are. It's made me who I am.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's
1: made me who I am, you know, like... um, I grew up in Hackney, a very multicultural area, around a lot of crime and stuff like that. And um, I was toughened before I went in there. but that was a whole... So I was already quite a tough kid before I went in there. I was ready for a lot of stuff, but that was a whole different experience for me. And it just, it really, really opened my eyes to life. A lot of things in life, people and how human beings are when their backs against the wall as well, and survival. And it and, um, shows you can, you can survive anywhere anywhere in the world. Human beings are human beings, no matter where they're yeah, from, you know? Yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: All right, before we go back then to the prison stuff, let's let the viewers yeah. understand what led to this then. Yeah. like what, We'll go back to your childhood, what was that like? My childhood? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I grew up, my mother's um, Irish from Cork in Ireland, and my father's Greek Cypriot from Limassol. Right. So I grew up um, in Hackney, born in Hackney, mother's hospital. Um, I went to Highbury Grove School. <coughs> always aspired to be an artist, musician from a very young age. So I was spitting on like radio stations and stuff <laughs> yeah. like that from 15, 16 years old. So I come up around um, a lot of music and been writing and doing music from a very young age and fell in love with reggae, um, Jamaican culture from a very young age. I grew up in a big Jamaican community. Uh, a big black community in Hackney, not just Jamaicans. And not just black people, all types of people. I think I'm very lucky because Hackney is one of the most multicultural cities in the world, I think. And growing up there, it was really a nice experience because I got to all of my friends of so many different cultures and it's a lovely. I had a nice growing up in that sense. Hackney was very tough. Um, the Hackney I grew up in was very, very... Violent, a lot of crime. It's before the CCTV and everything, so it was really, really hardcore, you know? Yeah. And I, was, I, I, um, I dropped out of school early. My father and my mother run a rag trade business, and um, I started working for them, and then I started selling weed and got into street activity and started being your average Hackney bad boy, so to speak. Was you the know? gangs
0: back then? Y- yes,
1: yes. How was it structured in Hackney? It's always been gangs in Hackney. It's always been gangs in Hackney. Um, what do you mean by structured?
0: Like, so in America, it's like, you know, 29th Street Crips versus the Street Bloods right. or whatever. All that shit. How how is it work in Hackney?
1: Um, well, growing up in Hackney, it was a bit more unified than it is today. So it wasn't all these post-Cold Wars that you see now. Yeah. Which I could never get my head around. I couldn't get my head around post-Cold Wars. Um, it was more... Hackney was, it was more areas, so it was like Hackney against Tottenham and stuff like that, or Brixton, you know, or like, it was like, literally, and it was a more money orientated, the gangs was Murray or, orientated, so the, the, we didn't really have a problem, unless if someone was making money, then we'd have a problem with that gang, and it's all, it was always over money, mm. rather than now, it seems to be over stupid things and just areas and stuff like that you know what I mean yeah so it was always money orientated drug a lot of drugs a lot of drugs I mean Hackney was like crack city hmm. so a big cocaine epidemic in Hackney from I'd say like the 80s the 90s yeah you know a lot of a lot of hard drugs a lot of poverty mm-hmm. you know I say a lot of a lot of mental health is well. I've seen Hackney have a lot of a big effect on the youth in their mental health, I think even if you look into, into the statistics, Hackney's got one of the highest mental health cases. in Yeah, so it's 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 come it's stemmed from a it's the the fittest of the fittest surviving Hackney, <laughs> and it's, it's um it's a great place to learn about life, in my sense. But I come up, I learned a lot. I was in gangs when I was young, so I was I was in gangs in Hackney when I was growing up. And,
0: what was your relationship like with your parents during your teenage very close, years? Very close. Very close. Yeah, I've
1: always been very close. I'm the only child. Yeah. Only child for my mum and dad. Always been very close with them. Um, maybe when I was... Before I went to Jamaica in my late teenage years, as I was getting really bad and into gangs and crime and stuff like that, I wasn't as close with my parents at that stage.
0: Were they having a word with you at that point? I wasn't listening to nobody. <laughs> I wasn't
1: listening to nobody. It got to a point at one point where I, my father even threatened to send me to Cyprus to go to the army, you know, because I it was like, he couldn't put up with me. I was out of control at one point, you know, mm. I was really bad.
0: So was you on a lot of drugs that was scrambling your decision making a bit?
1: Well, I'd, in my teenage years, I'd mess around with a lot of things, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. What years were those?
1: For like, from, four, I'd say like all my life until I went to Jamaica when I was 19, 20. What year was that? To the year 2001, I went to Jamaica.
0: 2001, yeah. Okay, I see. Yeah. Just trying to think about where we were of all the drugs in this country in the so you're in the 1990s Well, it's before it's before nineties is when you was a teenager. Yeah, I was in yeah teenager yeah.
1: in the nineties. Yeah, got yeah yeah.
0: Because I was part of, like that ecstasy scene, the rave scene, and all that. Yes, I heard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and that did, was. Did you ever get into that?
1: I didn't because you know what I think. Um, you know, I got into the rave scene. Yeah, I was very. No. I was running around the drum and bass scene. I was part of the jungle scene. Mm. So I started emceeing on jungle music. Right. So my first genre of music I started performing on was jungle. Yeah. You know, but um, always aspiring to be a dancehall act, but mm. jungle was the popular thing in the country at the time. So that's what we was going to, yeah. that's what everyone was trying to do. So I was around the raving scene for a long time. I know, I know many friends. I've got many friends in the raving scene and the drum and bass scene as well. But I missed the actual acid days and the, Acid House. Yeah, Acid House. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, after yeah. my generation. I'm, yeah. I'm a bit too young for that scene. But like all, a lot of my friends, funny when you said about ecstasy because I saw the ecstasy mm. pandemic hit mm-hmm. the young kids at that stage, even though it's one of the drugs I never actually took. So I've never, right. I've never taken ecstasy. Oh, wow. No.
0: Yeah, my sister was into jungle. I was into trance. Oh, really? <laughs> I'm on the ecstasy, giving it that. Oh, the trance crew, yeah? Jungle's hard to dance to. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what?
1: Jungle, would you say so?
0: Yeah, for me, yeah. For me, it is, personally. Uh, To me, (laughs) trance is hard to dance to.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Trance is hard to dance to me. Jungle, because Jungle was reggae influenced. Yeah. yeah. Jungle's reggae influenced. So it's like from reggae music. So what I fell in love with Jungle was because it had all these reggae samples and Mm. dancehall samples in it. So it just felt like... When it turned into drum and bass, Mm -hmm. I I stopped being a fan. Right. but when When they stopped... Involving all the reggae samples and everything like that, and it turned into drum and bass, as you know. I wasn't a fan of it. I loved the jungle, the, the ragga samples in it. That, it. Yeah, yeah. I feel That was like real... And you know what? It was real Hackney music because if you look into the history, Jungle was invented in Hackney. No way. Yeah.
0: Hell. So it's
1: come from my area. Right. Yeah, like the first radio stations, Cool FM, Rush FM, the first ever pirate radio stations yeah. for jungle music was like, I know the guys who set them up.
2: Yeah, yeah. It was like my friends. Wow.
1: So I like, <laughs> so the whole drum and bass scene, jungle scene, they all... I don't only know them they're friends of mine I grew up with so yeah. I watched the whole scene evolve from jungle it's funny with the music team because I watched it from evolve from jungle mm. into into drum and bass mm-hmm. into house and garage mm. into grime into drill what you got now it's
0: yeah. been a whole evolution yeah yeah definitely it's it's fascinating the history of it yeah alright so what led to you then going to Jamaica
1: right um, I went with an ex-girlfriend yeah yeah, so I only planned to go for two weeks, originally. Mm-hmm. So it was a two-week holiday. So before I went to Jamaica, I was um, I was a high-grade dealer. I sell a lot of high-grade Jamaican weed. So I was I started selling weed at about sixteen, seventeen years mm. old, and I was specializing in in Jamaican weed because that was the popular weed at the time. Just like skunk is the popular thing now, yeah. Jamaican weed was the popular thing in my er- in my area. So. I was selling that. And, I was, and my first girlfriend was Jamaican.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I always, because of my love for the culture and I fell in love with the music from a young age, but I would never had gone to Jamaica. Yeah. So I made plans with my girlfriend to go for a two-week holiday.
2: Mm-hmm. Her
1: family was from Spanish Town in Jamaica. I went, I went to Spanish Town Prison, but her family actually was from the area called Spanish Town. Yeah. So I planned to go for two weeks. And um, I did go for two weeks. And I didn't go to plan to bring back weed. I was already involved in smuggling moves before that. And they kind of, we had a move going on with the Easter bun that wasn't getting caught. So it was only a very small amount. It was only like six pounds, three pounds in each bun. So it was, and it was, because it was only a small amount of weed, it was coming through and no one was checking the bun and no one thought that even if you did get caught with six pound of weed, usually you just get a fine and sent home. Mm. You understand what I mean? Yeah. But on this particular occasion, that they didn't find me, they made an example of me and gave me a, oh. a long sentence. But I, but I only went there for two weeks' holiday with my ex girlfriend originally. All right, so
0: you're on holiday. Yeah. You get the idea to bring the weed, and then take us through that day you got busted. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, my original plan, I went there with my ex girlfriend and her sister and her sister's daughter. Mm. And like what I said, I didn't plan to bring the weed back. But I've got all the links over there. And because the first time I went to the country, I went to see the farmer and I ended up buying seven pound of weed. I smoked a pound of weed before I got back. And I said, it still was £30,000 English money. So I thought, yeah, I'm going to try to bring this back. And I honestly thought the worst that was going to happen to me was going to be fined and sent home. So that's my... That's, I thought the worst was going to happen to me. So she was aware I was carrying the weed. Um, she was cool with it. So I missed the first plane because it was like three months after the 9-11 situation. Ooh. So I had my plane tickets booked for one day in January. And we'd gone to the airport two hours before the flight. And I remember getting to the airport and going outside the door. And they wouldn't let us into the airport. Because they said you got a book in four hours before your flight because of a new emergency breach since 9-11. So I was like, oh, wow. So we ended up turning back and had to rebook the tickets. and And her sister and the sister's daughter decided to stay in Jamaica. So we got the weed in the cases and we've had to turn back from the airport. So the first time we've gone to the airport to go home, couldn't get in the airport, sent us back home. Rebooked two days later. Gondor again. So we're in the cab on the way to the airport. I look at my ex. She didn't look worried the first time on the first day, but on the, when we was on the cab two days later on the way to the airport, I see her smoking the cigarettes really fast in the cab, and I was thinking she's a bit nervous. I say, like, "You okay?" He like, says, "Yeah." Mm. Anyway, by the time we get to the airport now, and in them days you had to queue up to um, pay fifty pound on your ticket to because we missed our flight, so we had to pay fifty pound. At the counter, so we get into the airport, go up to the counter to pay the fifty pound extra fee to board the plane, and I'm watching her when I'm paying, and I'm she's she's looking really like nervous. Mm. I can tell by her face, but I'm thinking, oh my god, she don't look. She, and I, I'm looking at her, and I can see she looks a bit nervous. But so I'm thinking, bloody hell, oh, she looks nervous. Like, Fuck it, it's got a bit. We're not turning back now. We're gonna do it. So us, uh, so we pay for the tickets. Pay the £50 each for the tickets, jump in the queue, start queuing up now. And then there's a guy who takes your cases and puts them on the table to search them before you go onto the machine that drags them off to the plane. So we're queuing up and um, he says, yeah, put, put the cases on the table. So I've got three suitcases with me. I've got two cases of clothes and one suitcase of food. Now, the suitcase of the food is where the weed's at. And in the suitcase of the food, I've got every type of fruit and smelly fruit from Jamaica you could ever imagine in there to try and contain the smell of the weed. How's the weed wrapped? Yes, it's wrapped really well. So I've got the weed compressed in two Easter buns, three pounds in each Easter bun. Mm. I don't know if you're familiar with a Jamaican Easter bun, but it's like Mm. a loaf. It looks like a small loaf of bread that Mm. comes in a box and it's called a spiced bun basically. And um, I had a style where I cut the top of the bread and I squeezed the weed. So I actually make the weed look like it's still a loaf and it goes back into the packet. And yeah. if I pass through the packet, it still looks like an Easter bun. Mm. So I've got that in the suitcase mixed up with other Easter buns, sugar cane, June plum, other Jamaican fruits, smelly fruits, everything, <laughs> you name it, oranges, pears, everything's in this, in this fucking case. Anyway, so the guy picks up the cases, puts them on a the table like this. Case number one, the clothes. <laughs> Starts going through the clothes. Puts them all back in. Man, Got, Picks up the case with the food now. Done the two closes first. Picks up the case with the food. Takes out the Easter bun. I'm watching him. He puts it back in. And zips back up the case. And I'm like... Yeah, wicked. We're gone. Gatwick, here we come. I think, that's it, wicked. Literally, as he zips back up the case, I've got the cases back, we're back in the queue. No way. I swear to God. Oh my God, holy shit. I'm back in the queue.
2: Oh!
1: I'm buzzing in my head thinking, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Easy. Within two, it wasn't even five minutes in the queue. Listen to this. I wasn't even... Oh. Fine. So he searched them and he searched every case, every case he searched and he's even picked up, picked up the um, the items in the case, taking yeah. them out, putting them back in. Yeah, yeah. I see him take the weed out <laughs> and put it back in <laughs> and zip it back up again. And I'm like, yeah, my man. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, so we're queuing up and then within two minutes... I roughly remember, it wasn't t- five minutes, but it was more than a minute. So within a few minutes, I got a tap on my shoulder. I can't remember what shoulder it was. <laughs> I got a tap on my shoulder, and I look round, and I see this, this lady. P- police, Jamaican. She was about 40, 40, late 40s, 50, um, say f- between 40 and 50 years old. She was... Uh, She wasn't young. And she looked like she wasn't a regular police officer. She, because I can tell by the Jamaican police, because they wear different colour clothes, you know. So she wasn't your average just blue suit police or green suit. She she had a couple stripes on her or something. She looked a little bit higher up. I can't remember her position. She was a sergeant or something, or general. I don't know. Anyway, she says, she touched me on my shoulder and says, excuse me. I says, Yeah. So I like to search your cases. I'm like. Um, the gentleman here has just searched my cases. I'm like, I'm confused. I'm looking at it. He's just searched them. She says to me, I know, but I want to search them again. <sighs> I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake, what mm. the fuck is going on here? <sighs> so, as soon as she said that, I'm like, fucking hell. You know. I've gone from Wow, we're through. To what the fuck's going on here now? Within, mm. within no time. <coughs> Excuse me. So, she takes back up the cases on the same table. He's just um, searched him on. She takes back up the cases. She starts with the clothes. Do you know what ice pick is? An ice pick. Yeah. A weapon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's got one of them on her. I'm looking at her, she's got this ice pick and I'm thinking, what the hell is she doing with that? So, as she's got the ice pick, she's picking up the clothes and she's, she's got the ice pick and she's got the socks out of my clothes. Trung! I'm like, what the hell are you doing? She starts destroying, like, she's literally destroying my clothes. She ain't got to the food yet, but she's on the bag of the clothes and she's destroying them with this ice pick. I'm like, what are you doing? I said, will you stop mashing up my clothes? She's picking up my socks, my shoes, my slippers, jeans. She's stabbing every bit of fucking clothing with this ice pick. I'm looking at her like, we're fucked. Because she ain't got to the weed yet. But the way she started searching the clothes, I'm like, we ain't surviving this one. Anyway, so she carries on. Clothes number one, ironic. Close number. Case number two is the clothes again. She leaves the weed, the, the food the case with the food and the weed for last. She leaves that for last. So she puts the case on the table now with the weed and the food and she's got the, she picks up like the, the, even the sugar case, she's stabbing it with this ice pick. The June plum. Bang! The oranges. It's exploding. She's making a smoothie here. (laughs) She's literally doing a smoothie. She's doing a fruit punch with this fruit. She's destroying every bit of fruit. Anyway, she gets to the Easter bun she goes <laughs> bang, <Nyang!" laughs> and it's stuck because it's not a bun is it she's got it the ice pick's gone in and it's hit the weed now oh. and she's like and it's coming she's pulled the ice pick out and all the weeds sticking oh. out of it and it's cool pulling that. it's all good you know it's really gummy it's good weed and she's gone like this she's gone this is country man you're under arrest. <laughs> oh,
2: and I was man. like, oh,
1: for fuck's sake. So that's it, the walk of shame now. Because the airport's rammed. The airport's at its capacity. Because um, of the year 9-11, like I said, a few months ago, and they, a lot of people must have been missing flights because of the new rule. I, I shouldn't have even tried to do it because when they said to me four hours... Booking four hours before your flight. Extra security breach since 9-11. I should have gone, Tuggy, what the fuck are you trying to do? Smuggle weed now for? This ain't the time. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But here I've gone, not listened to nothing. I've gone and done it anyway. <laughs> and that's it. Walk of shame now through the whole airport's That at mm. capacity. They're walking me through. I look like Pablo Escobar, <laughs> who's just been nicked with 50 keys of coke Because they don't know what you've been nicked with. You know the people looking at you? Mm. You just look like... You've been nicked with, like, a hundred keys of heroin or something, or mm. coke, like, so they walk you through the whole Everyone's looking at you, go through King, um, Kingston Airport, Norman the Airport, to the police section of the airport. Mm. Oh, sorry, before I go any further, as soon as she finds the weed, this is the little problem we have as well, as soon as she finds the weed and says, this is country, man, you're under arrest, my ex jumps up and said, it's mine! No! <laughs> <laughs> I'm stopping her feet like, shut the fuck up. Because I've got a receipt in my pocket for this Easter bun. Because I thought some worst case scenario, I thought, Tuggy, if they find it, you show them the receipt and you say you bought it in the bakery, you don't know nothing about what's inside this fucking thing. Yes. <laughs> I said, was my little idiot getaway plan. I was like, Tuggy, keep the receipt for the buns. I did, I actually bought the receipt. <laughs> I bought the Easter buns I bought the Easter buns in a place called some supermarket uh-huh. and I kept the, I actually kept the receipts so I got them so that's my getaway car but she's gone and said it's mine so I'm like I'm about to pull the receipts out <laughs> I'm just about to pull the receipts out to show this this woman say look I, I bought it in. it's mine I'm like
2: the fuck is shut up
1: and then what did you say so she's noted it I'm like. Then she says, "Oh, it's not mine." And then like, "Oh, but you've you've already opened your mouth, love." Do you understand what I'm saying? It makes things that little bit more complicated, right? Because better you just keep your mouth shut in that situation, right? Anyway, so we get wheeled off to the to the um, police department of the airport, and then the lady says to me, "I'm there." I'm I'm I'm, try- I'm still trying to bribe her because I'm like, because Jamaican police is very corrupt, very mm. corrupt. The police force out there. And they are bribeable. They are bribeable. But this particular woman wasn't. <laughs> this was, it's like, they gave me an officer, you, you could have had a million pounds, she don't want it. She mm. was like, it's a church woman. She's like, it's, a re- it's probably, you know, 99% of the police force out of there is probably corrupt. And they gave me the 1% that ain't. <laughs> no, literally, they gave me, no, you're getting the 1%. Oh. You didn't get no corrupt today, Tuggy. You ain't getting out of this one. Mm. So like, as we're walking through the airport, I'm like, why did you want to search? I, want, I was intrigued. Why the hell did you want to search my case again? That was, that's what was pissing me off, because I was through. You already searched it. I'm through. I'm walking through. We're about to board the fucking plane, and you come and tap me on my shoulder to ask me to search again. I want to know why you want to search it again. So I said to her, why did you want to search my cases again? What made you want to search my cases again? I said to her. She said to me, the law told me you had drugs on you. I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake. And then I says, no, come be honest now, why did you want to do it? And she says, when I looked at your girlfriend's face, I knew you had drugs. Um, Remember what, now that's why I told you the story from, that's why I was explaining to you the story about when we was buying the tickets and I noticed her face was looking a certain way.
2: Yeah.
1: Well this, she was obviously in the background watching somewhere mm. and she noticed her face. So she says, as soon as I saw your girlfriend's face, I knew you had drugs. And I said, and as soon as she said that, it just made sense to me because it already got my alarm bells from the cab.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Remember, I said from the cab, I was looking. I said, your face don't look—it wasn't even—it wasn't even how she was moving. It was her, it was her face. Cause I was looking at her face. Your face don't look right. You look really mm-hmm. worried. Like I was just cracking, like what I said to you, and that was the case. You said, when I saw your girlfriend's face, I knew you was carrying drugs. I said, mm-hmm. oh fuck's it. Walk us through the, the, the police department now, and from there. I get drove to uh, downtown Kingston lockup, which is um, one of the most dangerous jails in, in Kingston. Mm-hmm. And that's where I spent two weeks, well, about a week and a half before I went to the court. And, um, and the jail was really... The jail was really sort of... Like what I said, the jail was probably a bit more intimidating than the prison in a sense because it was such a shock to the system at that time. And it's weird because that's why I had to get used to the whole corruption of the country and how corrupted the country is. I'll give you an example. Like, the, like, oh, I've gone taken to the jail now and they've emptied out my cases again in the jail before they put me in actual section. So I got locked up on a section with about 30 people. All, and no beds, nothing. No, you, got a, you get a piece of newspaper to sleep on. Mm. On the concrete floor, and there's like all cockroaches on the wall. You've got to put tissue in your ears to sleep. Mm. I was wondering why people had all tissues in their ears and the, my, and the guy said to me, if you don't put tissue in your ears, the insects will crawl into your ears. Mm. And I'm like, are you fucking serious? And I could see another geezer fed to sleep, and I could see insects all crawling around his face. And I was like, how the mm. fuck am I going to sleep in this fucking shit? Here? Mm. That kind of way. But And like, and literally, just to even make a phone call, so the first thing I've gone in... And I've got locked up with, like... Um, a, I had a 1,500-pound Rolex on. <laughs> <laughs> Which... So I've gone in the cell and, like, straight away I could see all eyes on my watch. But like, I'm that pissed off. I didn't even realize I had the watch on until I got in the cell. You know, it's just a, oh shit, Tuggy, you, you're in a fucking Jamaican jail with a £1,500 pound Rolex on your wrist. What are you doing? Like, this is another problem that could occur. <laughs> now. Do you understand what I'm saying? You know, but, like, I was um, so pissed off with what would happen. And it's like, the, the, um, even the policeman who locked me up in the cell, I don't know if like, they could see I was... Re- I don't know. I'm a man. You see when I'm upset, everyone around me knows. <laughs> <laughs> when I'm upset, everyone can feel it. And it's like, people don't want me to be upset or something. Because even the policeman, he was nice of him because he, he found the bag of weed in my suitcase from England, believe it or not. This weed was from England. So this weed travelled from England to Jamaica. I didn't even know it was in the fucking bag. Because <laughs> by when they've searched, they found it, and you know he brought it over to the cell and gave it to me? Wow. He, he actually brought I was like, wow, that was really nice. And the same policeman I gave him my money and then he went out and put credit on his phone and then I phoned my cause there's no phones mm. in the jail. I've got to phone my father now to tell my father the bad news.
0: How did that feel?
1: That's the worst. That's the worst experience. That's the worst part. That's the um <sighs> it's all it's all fun. Until you got to do shit like that.
2: Mm.
1: You know, that's the really, that's really, that's when it it hits home that you're in a bad fucking position. Because even if you can, like, even if you can deal with the situation you're in, you start thinking about how your loved ones, like your mum and your dad and whoever, how are they dealing with it?
0: How did you explain it to him, what had happened?
1: Um... Pretty straightforward. i got a very, very good relationship with my father. Mm. Very good. We're like, we wasn't just father and son, best friends. Mm. Partners as well as um, a very special father and son relationship, But best friends as partners. So I never had to, uh, I never felt like I had, I had to explain something to him. It was always straightforward. So I was, he knew what I was doing. He knew what I was doing, you know. Mm. So he knew, so I phoned him, I said, they caught me. He says, I didn't even have to tell him I tried to smuggle weed because he knew, he knew, he was like, he knew, I told him I was going to try and bring back six pound of weed and he was aware of all of that. And I said, they caught me and um, he was, oh. You know, he's, he's, he, 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 he was really upset about it, obviously. And um, he was left in a situation where, because I was sort of running the business while I was in England, the weed business, so my father didn't do any illegal business weed business while i was there so now i've got locked up the money's dried up over over in england and he was forced to take over that business i've got the customers Mm. coming to the house anyway like i told you so um he was like oh he he took it over so he had to take over doing that business and i even needed money for the solicitors money for that we didn't have no money Mm. we have no money and my dad started hustling the weed in england Mm. mile a minute to to finance me, and wow. yeah.
0: What was your mom's reaction?
1: My mom's reaction, you know, um, my mom at the time, she was, um, she was in Ireland at the time, mm. with family. So we didn't tell her till I got out. I didn't tell my mom till I got out, with, because I didn't want my mom to know a while ago. Yeah. Pref- my mom didn't find out until it was all over to be honest with you. Good because Yes, yeah. it was very good. So I didn't, my dad can handle it, and my mum, I don't want that worry on her.
2: Exactly. Yeah. I,
1: don't, I, I wouldn't have wanted her to be stressed over that at all. So mm. it, it, it hit her hard enough when she found out about it mm. after I survived it all. That was difficult enough then to tell her while it was going on was a no-no. Mm. No, if I could avoid it, which I did avoid it, and it, it was the best strategy, like you said.
0: What was it like going up in court?
1: It was, um, it was very daunting. I thought... I was, it was, it was um, luck of the draw. Because like what I said, I thought I was going to be fined and sent home. And you get put in a halfway tree courthouse in Kingston. And there's many different courtrooms, as many courthouses have. And it depends what judge you get is going to determine... Your sentence now.
0: What he's had for breakfast.
1: What he's had for breakfast. <laughs> so they're like telling me, so they're in the, They're in. while I'm in the, um, the jailhouse, all the prisoners are telling me, okay, if you get him, you're all right.
2: <laughs>
1: is what they're telling me. If you get him, you're all right. He don't mind weed. This one, he don't like murderers. This one, and then he says, look, you see this one, Tuggy, this one's called, um, what's his name? Martin Gale. You don't want him. <laughs> he hates traffickers. I can't stress to you more. This one hates traffickers, they're telling me in the court in the, in the jail.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Talk, Nilfe, you got Martin Gale. I said, oh, for fuck's sake. Ah. They gave me the one who hates the traffickers. I'll never forget it, because they're all in the jail. It says you don't want Martin Gale. You don't want Martin Gale. Anyone else will give you a fine. Martin Gale, he hates traffickers. This geezer, you don't mind a murderer, this one. But if you <laughs>
2: If you murdered, it's all right.
1: he took drugs?
2: Nah, lock him up.
1: <laughs> <laughs> he hates traffickers, this one. So, like, my, and I'll tell you another thing as well. I didn't play, I didn't um, work with the system because...
0: If you want more of Tug of War, his channel link is in the description <laughs> yes. box. i got to say at this point, I've interviewed a lot of people, man. You're one of the most charismatic people I've ever met. you. Oh, really thank have you. presence, yeah. Respect, I really agree Really enjoying you. The, the way you tell your story. <laughs> oh, yeah, thank Oh, yeah, yeah. thank I'm you. I'm sure the viewers think the same. Let us know in the comments. <laughs> thank you. Respect, man. Yeah, Appreciate yeah. it. Appreciate it. So, <laughs> you, so you get the hanging judge. Yeah, yeah, I get the hanging judge. Yeah, I get the
1: hanging judge. So I've got, I've got it there. Uh, and before I tell you about the hanging judge, I've turned down the solicitor. Hmm. Now, the solicitor... Because I couldn't fathom out why I'm going to pay. Because this is, the solicitor wanted £1,500. And they recommended a solicitor to me that was apparently friends with the judge. This is Jamaica. I was like, well, what does he want? He wants £1,500. I says, for what? To tell the judge I'm guilty. I was like, one minute, let me get this straight. If, if you're going to fight my case, I don't mind paying you. Like, you're gonna, I'm going innocent. I'm innocent. I want you to fight my case. How much is your fee? I pay you, no problem. I'm guilty. What am I gonna, what am I paying you 1,500 pounds for (laughs) to tell that man that I did it? You mad. Do you understand what I'm saying? So he was like, no. I'm not paying a solicitor £1,500 to go guilty. I'm guilty. The weed is mine. I'm sorry, Your Honour, is mine. I'm going to pay him £1,500 to do that? <laughs> they're trying to convince me that if I pay the £1,500, the sentence will be less mm. because they're mates.
2: Mm.
1: I'm like, no. Nah. I, like, I had a word with my dad about it. And at that point, I was like, no, nah, this sounds like extortion. I don't do anything like that. Fuck the lot of them. I ain't paying none of them. I'll go in the much. I don't need... I like paying someone to tell him I'm guilty. Motherfucker, I'm guilty. You understand know what I'm saying? So I went in there by myself. And maybe that was... This is corrupted Jamaica here. So maybe if I did pay the lawyer, he might have bought the judge a drink after and gave the sentence less. Yeah. But because I've gone against the grain, they've probably gone against me a little bit harder. Uh-huh. So I've gone in the courthouse now. It might turn to go in. Mr. Nelfito, how would you plead guilty? Du, 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 du. I said this you for 1 year. I said what? Come again? 1 year, dang. I said, "Excuse me?" He said, "1 year for 6 pounds of weed?" Now, like, I was getting friends. I've had I know people who who take 50 pounds of weed and don't get such a long sentence. Mm. Even when I got locked up there, my friend who is in my documentary? We got Dan man. Dan man got caught with twenty pound of weed and done four months. Mm. I get caught with six pound of weed and give me a year, fine and confine. So you pay for, so I end up paying fifteen hundred pound confine to get the sentence down to eight months.
0: Mm. So we got the fifteen hundred out. Of you one way or the other. one way or the other, they got the fifteen hundred out of me. You know what I mean? <sighs> Unbelievable! Unbelievable! So once you're sentenced, where do you go to then? What, from that point? Do you, like, get moved to a different facility?
1: Well, when they sentence you in the court, you get taken back to the jailhouse. Mm. Prison truck only leaves the jailhouse once a week on a Saturday. So I can't remember what day. It was during the week. So I think it was, like, a Tuesday I went court, if I remember correctly. It was about a Tuesday, so I still had another Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So I still had another four days in the jail before the prison truck comes.
0: What crazy shit did you see in the jail? Uh, In the jailhouse?
1: Yeah. In the jailhouse. I saw everyone that... (laughs) 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 They're they're robbing people in there. Everyone that gets locked up gets robbed, get tipped up. I was the only one that did it. Everyone gets locked up in there, they tip you upside down. And you get... And you, like... It's like... Me, because, like what I said... Um, I, when I first got locked up, man, I had my Rolex on, and my girlfriend was, my ex at the time was coming to visit me, saying, "You can't wear that in there. Give me the fucking Rolex.
2: Yeah,
1: you can't." And I was being stubborn for the first week. I was like, "Nah, leave them fucking try. I fucking kill them." Like, and you know, it, and it literally was my attitude, which probably was the wrong attitude, because I was so pissed. I was like, "You know, ain't taking this from you. You have to kill me in there." And then, I, and after a week, I thought. All right, Tuggy. You might be willing to die for this, but is it worth dying for? Do you understand what I'm saying? So I said, "Nah, I ain't." So I ended up giving it back to her anyway. And um, I know it's how they're running in there. It's a very dangerous place. The worst thing I see in there was, I th- to be honest with you, in the jail. Apart from people getting, I see a couple fights. I see, um, I see a lot of. Um, do you know what hit me the hardest in the jail? To be honest with you was after I got sentenced and I come back that night and I had to make the phone call to my dad mm. to, make, to tell him about the sentencing. Mm. That wasn't even the hardest bit. You know what the hardest bit was? After I made that phone call, another gentleman who went to the, the um, court that day got sentenced as well. And he had to phone his wife and kids and tell them he got 25 years. And you know what? That hit, that was a big that was one of the biggest reality checks for me, in there, because I was so upset about what I was going through, and I was so pissed off about this year, eight months, and and my whole thing, and really upset. You know, it's the yeah. end. Of, to me, it was the end of the world. To me, at the time, right? It was literally really upsetting, You know, I'm worried about all of that. And then when this guy. Went on to, the, he literally, I come off the phone, he used the same phone because we was only using one mobile phone in the, in the, in the Out. So when he come and he phoned his missus and I could hear him and he's sort of trying to keep his spirits up as well. And he had to go on the phone to his missus and his two kids and tell them it was 22 years. And he said, I've got 22 years. I was like, what a fucking phone call to make. I was like, wow. And I didn't, and I, I was like, that's fucked up. I was like, that hit home with me hard. I was like, what am I worried about my little fucking six, eight months? And this guy's just had to phone his missus and tell her his kids. What he had to go when he's got, he's, I heard his daughter, he's going on the phone to his kids telling them 20, he ain't 22 years. That, that kind of hit me hard in there. I was like, wow, it was an eye opener. It, it made me be grateful for what I was going through at that point.
0: How much did they catch him with?
1: And that was some murder. He I mean, wasn't. It was a. Mm. It was a murder charge or a gunshot charge or something like that. He was a. Gotcha. He wasn't a foreigner. He was a Jamaican citizen.
0: You said there was a couple of fights. What did they break out over? Like from fights are every shit, or... day in the prison. Every
1: yeah. day um, in the jailhouse, every day is fights. Every day is fights, and if, if you don't behave, in, you can get. Put on other sections, so if, you, if you're fighting too much on that section, you'll get put on another section. Mm. If, you get, if you keep getting taken, you end up getting beaten up in every section mm. as well. The police don't give a fuck. They'll see you getting beaten up and just walk away or whatever. You know, like I've never, I'm I've lucky, lucky enough never to have hands put on me in my whole sentence.
0: Did you feel the need at all to like, have a weapon handy?
1: I had a weapon handy, yeah.
0: How did you source the weapon? Well, I didn't have it in the jail, but I had a ratchet in the prison. Mm.
1: Coming over the wall. Everything mm. comes over the wall in the prison. <laughs> Everything comes over the wall. There's nothing in the prison that you can't get in this prison. Mm. So in the jailhouse, I was, I was getting weed sent in. Because the weed they had in there, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I smoke a lot of weed and I'm very fussy. I'm a connoisseur in weed. And the weed they had in the jail, I, suppose, it was, I was getting good weed sent into the jail mm. and stuff like that. In the prison now, you need protection. In the prison, most, most prisons have a ratchet. Mm. And, that, and, I, and they're coming over the wall by the box load. You see, like, literally, which is the eye opener. When I see all these, I was like, rah, I was like, that's when I needed one. I was like, everyone ain't, there ain't, everyone ain't having one of these and I ain't having one. He must be <laughs> fucking crazy, because was like, everyone's got one. And I I need one as well, then, because I ain't fighting a battle without it. (laughs) You understand what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And they're coming over the wall. Everything's coming over the wall. Mobile phones, ratchet knives, pounds of weed, cigarettes. One of the most amazing things I saw in the prison was prisoners actually hustling in the prison to to, um, support their families outside the Mm. prison, from inside the prison. That blew me away. Like, guys are hustling in the prison like it's a job. He's locked up, but he's hustling to support his family out the prison. So the family throws the weed over the wall, he throws the money back out for the missus <laughs> to feed the kids. Wow. That's what's going on in there. Mm. So it's like, especially long sentences, they're in there hustling their ass off in the prison to support mm. their families out of the prison. <laughs> Instead of the other way around, where you'd think people would be visiting them to support. Mm. No, no, it's the other way around. They're supporting their families out of the prison. It's like... Um, Violence in there is is uh, so regular. It's so regular. Like what I said, fights are kicking off every minute. People getting beat up. Sto- There's a lot of stones in the prison as well. Getting rocks through in their mm. head. And I'll tell you a story about my first day in the prison. <coughs> so my first day in the prison. Now, uh...
0: what was the bus journey like first? <laughs> uh,
1: I'm glad you asked about that because <laughs> I wanted to get to that as well. <laughs> Fucking horrible. Like an Orton Towers ride. Literally, it was like...
0: You're
1: like this. I'm like... No, I'm not like this. You're in the back of a Jamaican prison trunk. You're throwing around the place. Bang, 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 they got you in a little cubicle. I'm breaking my head, my arms. The truck driver's driving like a maniac. It's about a 45-minute drive from the jailhouse to the prison. And he's driving like a nutcase and you're handcuffed in this little cubicle in the back of his truck and you're just getting proud <laughs> <laughs> And another thing I wanted to tell you as well is that the two weeks in the jailhouse is no daylight. So I didn't see daylight for two weeks. No sunlight for two weeks. And I didn't have a shower for two weeks because the shower in the jail was unusable. I mean, it's not human Like I mean, I don't mind. It was just unusable. I can't even describe it. It was, under, and no one was having a shower. The best you can do in the jail is splash water on your face and try and do a little, that, that's it. Because the, the, the shower area is just unusable in the jail. Mm. So when I got put to the fucking prison, the first thing I wanted to do was have a shower. But I'll get to that. So after that long coach ride, bang, bang, bang. For 45 minutes from Kingston to Spanish Town, six of us got taken from the jailhouse to Spanish Town Prison. I'm one of the six. We get to the Spanish Town Prison now. After this long journey of banging in the back of this fucking truck, they open the door. The sunlight hits my eyes. I go blind because I haven't seen sunlight for fucking 2 weeks. The jailhouse is not even a there's not even there's not even a window. If I look around I can see where the sun shines on the police guys, but it doesn't actually shine on me. Mm. So I ain't seen sun so as I come off the truck now, it's hit my eyes and I'm like, you know you're squinting like that. So I'm like this for like 10 minutes. <laughs> I'm like looking around, can't see nothing. Then they take me up to one section where they They sort of give you your number and all of that. So they take you into section now and they give you your number and they strip you naked to see if you've got any scars on your body. And they tell you from the gate straight up, the first thing they tell you is we receive you as a body. It's like a cattle farm. It's like getting received as cattle. So we receive you as a body. And you will come out as a body. But if you come out as a live body, it's a whole nother story. You're not guaranteed to cut. They tell you from the gate is that you receive today as a body, and you will come out of here as a body. But we it's like a little, it's like a little disclaimer. But you're not guaranteed to come out as a live body. You come out. Oh yeah, you will come out. But we can't guarantee you you'll be breathing.
2: <laughs>
1: and that was, wow. and you know what, in this, the way they said that to you, they kind of say that to you in the gate. Like, and it ain't a joke, they mean it. And you get the gist of it that, yeah, these guys are serious. Mm-hmm. You, you, get, you, you, you accepted here as a body and you might make it out as a body. I mean, you make it out as a body, but you might not be a live body. So anyway, after that process now, they start, they check your bags, they check for your scars, they give you a little number. Remember, I said there's six of us. They send the other five to another section and leave me there by myself. I'm like, what's going on here? Where are they going? I say to the um, warder. He says, oh, they're going over there. We've got somewhere special for you, he says to me. I'm like, excuse me? What do you mean special? Why am I not going? Six of us come from the jail. Why am I ke- why have these lot been sent to that section and you're telling me you got somewhere special for me? Mm-hmm. Now, my paranoia is going mad, so I'm thinking it's a set-up. They've seen, they've seen the white man and them one, them one take the piss. They want to set me up. So, and I saw them. So I start to get paranoid now and thinking they're setting me up. It's a setup because they've sent them six guys over there and they're telling me they got somewhere special for me. What the fuck's going on? So i start to get agitated. I'm still in that, that main bit and I'm getting a bit agitated and, and like frustrated now and I'm like, this is a setup. And my, my, my spirit ain't sitting right with me, especially how the warder's talking. They says, yeah, yeah, I got somewhere special. I said, what are you fucking talking about? And then he says, yeah, someone over in that section. said. I'm like, what the fuck? And then he come up to me, and says, come over here. And he says, look over there. This is the warder. The warder says, come here. I said, what? He says, look through here. So I look through the gate. And he points at some guy. He's a prisoner. On the other side of the thing. I've never seen the guy in my life. Some short black guy. And I'm like, who the fuck's that? He said, yeah, see him there? And I'm like, no, nah, this is a fucking setup, mate. No, nah, fuck that. I was like, it's a set Who I was like, what the fuck's going on? So I... But you ain't got no choice but to do what they're saying at that point. So he's like, yeah, you're going with him. And he's telling me I'm going with this prisoner. I've never seen him in my motherfucking life. These other five guys have gone to another section. I'm like, what the fuck? Anyway, so I start saying, who are you? So the, the, the prisoner starts shouting a name to me. I'm, I can see the prisoner through the gate. And he starts shouting a name to me. I'm like, I'm And I can't understand a word he's saying. He's saying a name I've never heard before. I've got a friend in the prison that I totally forgot was there from England. Friend of the family, Dan Man, big up Dan Man. Now, Dan Man must have sent this guy. So, what they've done, but well, I didn't understand what was going on at the time, they've actually paid off the warders to put me on that section.
0: Ah. That's good.
1: Yeah. yeah. But at that particular moment,
0: you're paranoid.
1: I didn't know what the <laughs> fuck is... I don't know about any of this water mm. shit. I don't know. I didn't even remember he was there. Mm. So it's just hitting me simultaneously at the time, and I was, like, really paranoid. So when, when I finally, so I'm on the section. I'm actually walking with the guy now, going towards the section, <laughs> and it's only when I'm walking towards the block, and he says... Because he say, he's calling my mate's real name, and I know his nickname. And he's calling my mate's real name. And I still don't know the fuck. I said, who are you fucking talking about? And then he says, Dan. I said, oh. And then it all clicked. Fucking hell. And then it was like, my heart felt a lot better. I was like, oh, wicked. My brethren sent for me. Like, wow. And you know what? Because I was on page three. not On the Sun newspaper. Not with my tits eh? at.
2: <laughs>
1: but Daily Star, sorry. <clears throat> they being me the Daily Star, so... They had my whole net that whole write up on me on the Daily Star. Mm. And so that's how he found out I was coming. So you already, you're deranged with the with the warders. They, they paid off the warders, so when he comes, put him on our section. Sweet. Which was a fucking bonus. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't seeing the blessings at the time while that was going on. Yeah. So bang, I'm gonna run you through the first day. Mm-hmm. So I'll I'll get back to the section. I see Dan, I'm happy to see him. First thing he says, ah oh, target. I said, "What, well, I go out. He puts free. he puts some weed in my hand. <laughs> he said, I'm going to cook for you tonight. Because <laughs> he, he, he was like, wicked. He sorted out my cell. He said, see this guy, I'm going to sort out your cell. Saw so this guy called Scaddy, he put me in a cell down there. You have to buy your foam so you don't get no bed. There's no beds in your cell. You have to buy the piece of foam off a prisoner mm. for like $150, like a pound fifty. You buy a piece of foam about an inch thick to sleep on for the night. Mm. So I sorted out all of that and I said, Dan, and I went back up to Dan and I said, Dan, I need to fucking have a shower, mate. I had a shower for two weeks. Where can I have a shower? He said to me, well, listen to this. you got two choices. <laughs> he says, there's, the out, there's an indoor shower place where all the foreigners bathe. Foreigners meaning English people like myself. Or you've got the outdoor shower where the Jamaicans bathe. And he said, he said, that's where I bathe. It's a lot cleaner, he says, because the inside one stinks like shit because it's next to the shithouse. So I'm like, fuck going to that one. I'm going to the outdoor one. Because he says his choice. He says, but yeah, he says. Water's not cold, obviously, because it's so hot. So it's lovely and refreshing. And I haven't had a shower for two weeks. So I'm really looking forward to it. So I walk up to this section. I'm walking, I'm walking. As I get closer, I see there's people around there having a shower. Remember, it's only Jamaicans really allowed to use this. But he's told me to go over there and use it. So, as I get closer, six Jamaican guys run up to me and pick up rocks on the stone and run up to me and say, We have a boy! <laughs> you can't be a nobody, No man with sock pussy and fuck, can be a drone, No white man can be a drone, boy, with a blood count on
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> And I'm standing there. Like this with my one rag, boxer shorts, and I got six guys around. This is with, I got six guys around me with rocks, massive rocks. That see the whole round, the whole ground in the Spanish Town prison, it seems to be. It's like it's, it's built for a battlefield because there's bare rocks everywhere, massive rocks, like it's a demolition site. Everywhere is a massive stone or rock. So if it kicks off, there ain't far to go to pick up a rock. And they're, and they're right close to me with these rocks. <laughs> and they've got them to what, like, and you know what? I'm gonna be honest with you. I thought I was gone. Mm. I thought, that's it. They're gonna fucking stone me. He stole, like, <gasps> they're gonna stone me in the head from less than a meter away. I thought, that's it. That's not, this is, they can kill me with this blood clotting, yeah. Mm. Six of them around me, big rocks, saying, you can't be around And night. Like, a few of them look like they're ready to let it off. Mm. You get me? And they're like, within this distance of like, where I am with you, with the rock, right at the throat, about six of them. And I thought I was good. I was like... And they were telling me I can't bathe round there. One bag of ting, I'm standing there in my boxer shorts. And I lost it. I lost it on them. I said, what the... F-? I just... You know, you're... The human being can only take so much. <laughs> I've gone for a long two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> I've had a long two weeks, Sean. I've had a bad two weeks. All I wanna do is have a shower. And I'm at this shower, these guys have fucking got rocks in front of my face now. And like the day's been so Crazy, because that's happened, this happened, that's happened, and now I'm finally thinking, you know when you're finally getting to settle down now, you want to have a shower, I've got some weed to go and smoke back in this fucking cell. All I want to do is crack on with my day and i got this now. I thought, that's it, I fucking fell mm. up with this now, fuck that. Fuck you, I said to them, I'm fucking tug of war from fucking Hackney. Fuck all of you. <laughs> I swear. I went crazy on all of six of them. Ooh. You know, it's crazy because I thought, I, I, I got it out because I lost it on them because I thought, that's it, it's my last words. You know when you get your last words? This is my last words here. I'm going to go out with a bang. Are you going to hear about me before you throw these stones? Before this stone hits my head, you're going to know who I was because I'm thinking it's going to hit me. So I've told him, anyway, out of the blue, you know one of the most dangerous guys in the prison? A guy called... Zaga, his nickname was, yeah? Zaga is actually um, right-hand man of Christopher Coke
2: Mm.
1: from The Shower Pussy. And he's running the whole prison. (laughs) And he's at the shower while this is happening. So he's actually watching this happen. He saw me lose it on all of them. When I lost it on all of them, he's come up today. He's like, he's, as soon as he's like, I thought they're gonna fucking do me. He's come up, he's tried to put his arm around me. He said, Dugo, how you know from the show up, pussy." I don't know who this guy is. My first day in the jail, I've pushed him away. <laughs> this is the baddest man in the blood club. Prison.
2: Oh. Oh. Swear.
1: So he's put his arm around me. Like, i have mean, lost it, I'm I'm lost, it. I'm losing it on the other six guys. <sighs> he's put his arm around me, I'm like, don't get away. Like, don't worry about who I am, man. Because <laughs> I, I don't want to... Like, my, my mm. I ain't friending no one. I don't want to know no one. Mm. I'm not getting too friendly with no one. I in it a no one. Mm. Do you get what I'm saying? <laughs> you know what? It's crazy. But he ended up really respecting me for it. Big time. And I think it really... That was like... You know, like... You know you're going to get into something in these <laughs> places at one point or the other. So it was kind of nice to get over and done with in the first day. Mm. You know what I mean? Because this is like my first half hour, not just the first day, it's my first half an hour. And I'm getting all, and this is what's happening in the first half an hour of my fucking, this is the first half hour of Spanish Town Prison. The de year, it's the first half hour. You know what I mean? So like anyway, he, he said, cool to, lo to go on, man, So he gets all the guys with the rocks to cool down and put the rocks down. He tries to friend me. I push him away. I said, no, 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 man. Anyway, I was cracking, and I crack on, and I have my shower. (laughs) Yeah, I have my shower. And go back to my cell And go back, and I told Dan, man. And I told Dan, when I got back to the section, I saw Dan, man. And I said, I told him what happened. And he said, I just had a little running with these guys. Come up to me with the stones, and this guy called Zaga. He said, who's Zaga? He said, he runs the whole prison. And then that's the minute I found out fucking (laughs) hell. I just tried to. Oh, you're joking me. I oh, didn't, you did I? You're joking me. I was like, <laughs> but it was cool. So like, Zaga's on my section as well. So every time, from that day on, he walks past the cell and he says, "Tagawa, you all right?
2: <laughs>
1: he actually respected me for it. And he's doing a long sentence. He's doing some triple life sentence. Kind of mm. Big, long sentence. And you know, from that day on, every time he passed my cell, he asked for me, like, to ask if I'm okay. Mm. Genuinely. He was actually a cool guy. He was actually—I remember one time he didn't smoke weed either. But any time he got weed, he'd come and give it to me,
2: <laughs>
1: and f- um, phone card just just out of being nice. Mm. And he knew nothing back from it. He was just—he just respected me.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it was—but this guy, if he tells you to do something, you got to do it. So if you don't, because he runs the prison like that, he's one like the the the, the um. The the prisoners, the warders are scared of him. So if the warders see him beating up someone, they walk the other way. Mm. I've seen him beat the shit out of someone, the warders didn't know who it was in. They come and they see and say, oh you <laughs> didn't see nothing. <laughs> like they don't, he, he's the last one in his cell, and he's the first one let out in the morning. Wow. He's having a shower, walking around. You can look at your cell and you see him. He's already had his shower and everything, mate, and you're still locked up. Mm. He's the first one let out in the morning and the last one letting out at night. He even got a weekend out. <laughs> I swear he's got that because of the Shower Pussy links and the warders can't fuck with him.
0: Is it that one gang then that dominates the prison? That
1: section, it- Shower Pussy, dominates the section I was on. Ah, what other gangs are there? Well, you got Shower Pussy, you got um, Socialists, PMP, but they're not on that section.
0: Socialists. Yeah. So it's like a political thing, is it? Yeah, shower pussy yeah.
1: is, um, it's, it's, Jamaica's torn with polit- political politics.
2: Mm.
1: It's a lot of politics. So even the gangs are polit- political, politically driven. Mm. You know, I don't know if you know much about the shower pussy, but it's, J- it's JLP, you J L P got two main parties in Jamaica, JLP mm-hmm. and PLP. So you've got labour rights and socialists. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So labour rights is shower pussy. Mm-hmm. And socialists are p m p Gotcha. you get what i'm saying
0: are they at war in the prison system or
1: not too much they're at war in general mm. but it's more the, the poli i mean it, it's it, Jamaica's come a long way with the poli- with the politics war, so it's not what it used to be because it used to be a lot bad it used to be really bad mm. in the 80, in the '70s and the 80s. it used to be really really bad mm. the, the, the so it's it's, it's still driven because basically the, politi- the politicians in Jamaica, like that party will give that group X amount of guns and, get, and that party will get that group X amount of guns and go kill each other to see where's the fucking election.
0: Mm.
1: So it's a crime thing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Even why do you think Christopher Coke was so powerful?
0: Because of his connection to the politicians.
1: Exactly, exactly. And, mm. it's, and and his connection with the politicians is because he responses for the community mm. for the politician. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. Like, yeah, so that's, that's how deep it is. So he's like, he controls, so he's the control of that community mm. because of the politician.
0: Mm. So you said, the guy said he was going to cook you some food. Yes. That, was yeah. that nice? Yeah, 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 <laughs> really
1: nice. I never read prison food the whole sentence. So, really? Yeah. Wow. And I'll tell you why. Cause you can't. Mm. Now there's no there's no toilet in your cell, so you can't you can't um, go toilet. I mean number two, you can't shit in your cell. You got to program your body to shit within. Now you only get a couple hours out of your cell, so it's like a twenty one hour lockup basically. Mm. Twenty to twenty one hour lockup. So you only get a couple hours out the cell. So you got to sort of program your body to do your business in them few hours. Mm. Now the prison food will run your belly. The prison food ain't cooked in the prison. It comes on a truck called Clara, and it's like dog food. Mm. Even the rice is uneatable. I've never seen such disgusting food in my whole entire mm. life. It is uneatable, even for the most starving man. Mm. And, and even if you was the most starving man and you ate it, you're going to have diarrhoea tonight. And you can't afford to have diarrhoea. So you gotta be very careful what you eat in the prison mm. because you can't afford to have diarrhea. Because if you shit in your cell, that ain't gonna work out well for you. So you can't do that. So you gotta end up eating. So what I ended up eating is like Kalaloo, which we cook inside the prison and, and grow inside the prison and buy inside the prison, and rice or kalaloo and bread or whatever that we cook inside our cell mm. with a one burner and a pot. So we teeth the electric from the light in on the, on the landing. Because there's no lights in the cell either. Mm. There's nothing in the cell. No lights, no electric, nothing. So we get a bit of wire and tie a one, and wire a one little dragon, one burner to, to cook. And the prison's like a market. So as the prison's, when I say a market, you've got people up and down selling rice. You want to just buy oil to cook with for the day, you can buy oil off a prisoner for $10, which is 10p. So you can buy enough oil to cook one meal, or rice, or callaloo, or corned beef in a tin, or this it's like a market. It's like a literally up and down prisoners selling weed, cigarettes, food, everything you could imagine on the section as eight o'clock in the morning, the minute the cells the, the are open, it turns into a market space. Mm. Literally. Even if a warder wants a cigarette, he has to buy off a prisoner.
0: So a lot of prisoners have to get the hustle on then to yeah. survive. Yeah. yeah. Big time. Big time. Did you have people sending you money from the outs?
1: Yeah, my father was supporting me. Like I said, my father was supporting me.
0: Yeah.
1: And um, we had visitors. And luckily enough, what got me through really well, like I said, my girlfriend who I was with at the time, she was in Spanish Town. Her family lived in oh Spanish Town. So she, she was out for my first half of my sentence. She ended up doing three months on the last of my, because ended up sentence. So I'm, I'm going back and forth to court her, for her now because of mm. what she said do you remember what she said yeah it's mine it's mine so she's in conspiracy mm. for, in, for intelligence or knowing mm. straight away so she's back and forth to court there they're out on bail so she was out on bail visiting me so I'm getting visits no one in the prison can understand how this white man is getting so much visits <laughs> they don't understand my girlfriend at the time lives across the road <laughs> 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 literally because there's Jamaicans there that ain't getting visits like me mm. and they're thinking As he, who, who's this guy because like, you know if you get visits you look like really important <laughs> they're thinking this king's a this? he's getting mm. visits seven days a week like, I'm getting things sent in the prison i are thinking What's, how is he so okay? he don't know mm. my girl lives across the road so I, I was getting the money sent, in, sent over and, she'd, and I was getting it into the prison through warders mm. or whatever so the first half of my sentence I was okay in that sense Second half, when she got sentenced, that's when things got a bit bad in the in the prison in sense of me um, so surviving and that, because I wasn't getting so much visits. Mm. If, if there's no one to bring the money to me, it doesn't matter who my dad sends it to. He can't send the money direct to me. Mm. So he was sending it to her sister at the time, but her sister wasn't doing what she was doing at the time for her,
0: you know what I mean? How did the guards treat <laughs> you?
1: Uh... It was all right, to be honest with you. You had a couple that you know what want to fuck with, you just keep out of their way. Mm. So you get to know who's who. So most of the waters are pretty cool, to be honest with you. I smoked weed in front of the waters. Mm. You have no problem with that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like, it was pretty weird. The most weirdest thing for me was getting locked up for weed for six pound of weed, and maybe smoking more than six pound of weed in the fucking prison itself. <laughs> so I'm getting, like, I'm getting locked down every night by. Uh, there's a warder called Miss Mantle, Lady Warder. I like to see Lady Warders me up. It's nicer. She, they, I, I never had no problems. Only, there was only a few warders I couldn't smoke my weed in front of. It was like, okay, you can't. They said don't smoke in front of the green suit. So if the warder had on a blue suit, mm. I was all right. It was only the green suit warders I wouldn't smoke in front of. So apart from that, it was pretty relaxed. I mean, mm. or like you don't want to, or you can't be caught on a telephone mm. or anything. Like I know you got caught on a phone once, which that could get you a, a, an extra sentence as well, stuff like that.
0: So if you get caught violating the rules, yeah, do they send you to like a lockdown facility or what, how do they punish you?
1: No, if you get caught violating the rules, um, depending on what you've violated, you get charged again in the prison.
0: So they add more time on.
1: Yeah. Yeah,
0: that sucks.
1: Yeah, and a lot of prisoners in there end up in arguments mm. and stuff and end up doing something in there. I've seen prisoners to go in on a light sentence and end up doing something stupid in there. Mm. I've seen, like, he'll commit murder in there. He's gone in for thiefing, but he's committed murder in the prison. Mm. Because it's that, it's that crazy where the place is, is made for you to. to it's, it's designed. One thing I noticed with that prison. The only thing I saw keeping people sane in there was two things. Music and weed. And not everyone smokes weed. So it kind of relied on music. It was the only thing to keep people sane. Music and weed. And not everyone smokes weed, so it was just solely music. Apart from that, the place is designed for them to kill each other. It's ridiculous. Because if you look into the Amnesty International report on the prison, they done a write-up on the prison about a year before I got sentenced mm. and, and the reason why they did it because of the despicable conditions of the prison, like unlivable, like one of the most unlivable prisons in the world, yeah. like ridiculously, just the standard of human living is just not on.
0: Did you see anyone get stabbed?
1: Stabbed, yeah. I, did, yeah. I saw someone get shot in there as well dead guns well I was shot by the um, by the guards oh by the guards <laughs> yeah. a madman tried to run up into one of, into the main orders warder's office one day mm. and they shot him in the head mm. and like they'd threatened to shoot us like if there was fights if they couldn 't control the yard I remember being in the yard a few times and, and if they't if there was a fight kicking off or something all you'd hear was and then you look and you can see them all aiming at you. And they're trigger-happy motherfuckers. Mm. And that's the only way they can control the crowd if, if they start kicking off. Because they have, they, have, they have riots in the prison. A lot of riots kick off in this prison. Like what I said, Amnesty, Amnesty International was doing a write up because of a riot that went down a few months before I got locked up. And they have lights where they have to lock down the whole prison and they raid every cell with metal detectors for weapons and shit. And it's some hardcore fucking raids...
0: Strip search and all that?
1: Every type of thing. Mm. Every type of thing. Like Because like they, we keep the weapons in the cells, in holes. So we're like a hole in the wall disguised with putty over it and then paint it. So it would actually be red, same colour as that. Mm. And we'll have a hole and we'll have red paint. So the weapons, so any weapon we have will be hidden in the hole. Weapons, telephones, drugs, whatever we got to hide is all in this hole. But... They know that, so they'll come around to every cell, one by one, with metal detectors and hammers and things that so they're digging at. They'll dig out your whole cell. I've seen people's cell get dismantled. We got raided once, but the only reason our cell was lucky and they didn't find anything is because by the time they got to our cell, they was tired, because <laughs> they'd done the whole section. So they left no. us till last. So by the time they got to no. us, they was like. They didn't go that hard so they didn't dig out our walls and that because they would have mm. found our stuff in there. So they was only complaining about the amount of food we had. They had a lot of food in the prison mm. and they were you're not allowed to have the food and that in there. So it's, it's ridiculous. Like I saw four people get killed in there oh, in, my, in my in my time in there. I saw four people get killed and a lot of people beaten up and people um, oh, and most of the time it's over stupidness and just just loads of Loads of um, confrontations, like fights over the most silly thing. Like, nighttime people be arguing and getting up in the morning and as the cells open, they're fighting mm. and stuff like that just because of an argument that went on at the nighttime over a fucking lighter. <laughs> like, literally, and they were to kill each other in the morning. Now, it's frustrated people. Mm. You know, it's frustrated people. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, so the arguments can happen over the least little fucking thing can escalate into something stupid. You know what I mean? I've, I've had a couple close ones myself in there where it wasn't even me in the fight, but I've nearly, like, I've, rocks have been thrown, it ricocheted off the bar, nearly hit my head. <laughs> you know what I mean? I had to, I had to not beat a guy up one day, but that same Zaga guy, someone was running away from him in the prison and he was chasing, or he was after them, or something. And then he was running in my store. And I was told to catch. So I had to hold the guy and pin him down for them to come and fuck him up. And if I didn't do that, I would have been helping the guy to get away. And then I would have got fucked up. Mm. This is things like they just got. You got to be very. The, what what I what, what the main rule in there? What I learned. The main rule is use your eyes, use your ears mm. as much as possible. Use this as less as possible. <laughs> you know, now we're on a podcast, we can use this a lot. Yeah. But in there, your eyes and your ears, I'm sure it's the same rules, like you've been through the same kind of shit. You Lay low, your... take it all in. That's it. Yeah. That's it. And try not to talk
0: too much. Mm-hmm. Because the talking will get you into fucking problems. People who go in and brag about all the crimes and shit. Exactly. They get humbled very fast.
1: <laughs> very fast. And what you've got in there is people lying a lot. No, nah, nah, that's, I'm sure you've experienced. I was
0: the biggest bank robber in the history of America. Yeah. i go Vegas and had all these showgirls. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: <sighs>
1: in Jamaica, there's a lot of time where they they different. You get looked at, you get rated as your charge mm. in the Jamaican prison. So if you get charged for murder, mm. you get considered a bad man. If you get charged for gunshot, you get considered a bad man. If you get charged, if you get charged for fiefing, you get considered to be an idiot. If you get charged for smuggling coke, you're considered as a fucking idiot, as a cokehead mule, right? If you get charged for um, petty shit, you get taken for an idiot. You get charged for weed, like me, you get considered a freedom fighter. <laughs> Which is pretty nice. Mm. So, like, because weed is a natural thing, mm. you know? So it's a whole different look. So you say, oh, what did you get nicked with? So, you get, so getting nicked for smuggling weed and smuggling coke mm. is two different aspects. So you get nicked for smuggling coke in Spanish Town Prison, you don't get ra- no ratings. Mm. No ratings at all. You get nicked for smuggling weed, you're actually respected as a freedom fighter. <laughs> especially when it's for yourself. You're not a mule, because I wasn't a mule. I'm doing this shit for myself. You're extra special
0: freedom fighter. Because
1: it's like, why are you not going to lock up this guy? He's smuggling good weed. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah.
0: What about when you finally adapted then? How was your, an average day once you settled in?
1: I got on really well. Like I got, I'm a man... Um, I really adapted in pretty well. Very, very well. I, if Dan Mam will tell you, people that was in there will tell you, I ended up like, I was like a prison celebrity within weeks. Sweet. I was a celebrity in there within weeks. Mm. And me having my, my skill towards the music was a lot to, a lot to do with that. Um, as soon as they found out I could chat lyrics mm. and I'm an artist. Even, so they had a, on Easter Monday, they let, the, they let, them, they let us out all day. And we have an event, a stage show, a massive stage show. where we, Now, they've got a music section in the prison, first of all. First of all, let me start off by saying there's some big artists already locked up in the prison. Mm. So I don't know if you've heard of an artist called Jack Ure, where there's a massive singer called Jack Ure, Zebra. These two artists, they, they was both in there for rape. Mm-hmm. One, of the, one of the highest charges in the prison is rape, mm-hmm. funny enough. Now, um, so they do a stage show once or twice a year, and they usually... Invite artists from outside to do it. And it's actually held on my section. Mm. they got a music section in the prison. they got every instrument, every sound. You you, you name it. It's like carnival. Like the sound system speakers they set up. So on that morning, we all went to set up the whole sound system to have a massive party on our section. Mm. There's 1,800 people in the prison. Wow. 1,800 people all come to our section on Easter Monday for this stage show live bands, massive speakers, <laughs> picture cut, unbelievable. Mm. Now, this is a very important day for me. I'll tell you why. It was the day the whole prison got to know me and I became a celebrity in the prison. Now, prior to the stage show, I'm hanging around with the artists because of my love for music. I'm hanging around with the artists in the prison that I know them because I'm already fans of these guys that are already locked up in there. So I'm actually around them chatting lyrics with them every day or whatever. I'm trying to stay out of the the stupid side of the prison and just keep myself with the musicians so to speak you know or whatever mm-hmm. keep myself to myself kind of thing so anyway when the um, the stage show come about first and foremost i tell you sean paul's father was in the prison mm-hmm. so he got locked up a few weeks after i got locked up or a few months after i got locked up and he was locked up on suspended on a sus- driving on a suspended license so he got sentenced for six weeks only driving on a suspended licence. So he was like five cells away from me. At the time, Sean Paul is not the superstar he is now. Give Me the Light didn't even come out yet. He was he was just a... Um, he was like an average Jamaican act at the time. He wasn't internationally known at the time as yet. Uh, so to me, I didn't really give a fuck who he was anyway. He could have been Michael Jackson's dad. I don't really care. I'm in prison. We just, we just want to get out of here. So anyway, they have the stage show now. He's washing his plates, because like I say, what you do when you're out your cell is that you take your few hours to do things like wash your plates, your clothes, before you get locked back up for the night. So he didn't have much interest in the stage show, and he's at the other end of the prison washing his plates. This is a very vital story here. And I'm on stage mashing up the whole prison. And all the prisoners are all running around saying, the white man, I'll mash up the place! The white man, I'll mash up the place! (laughs) So he's washing his plates. And I'm not the only white guy in the prison. So he drops his plates to run over to see which white guy they're fucking talking about, who they're making a racket about, about the white guys mashing up the plates. So he runs over to see which white guy's on stage mashing up the stage. And he goes over and he sees me. And after the stage show... That night, I got locked down before him and he's walking past my cell and he comes up to my cell and he says to me, oh, you're really good, man. He says, you remind me of my son. He's talking about Sean. And he was like, what are you doing? You need to stay in Jamaica to do your music. Mm. And I was like... And so the next day, I started talking to him and... And, and, he, and he actually arranged for me to stay in Jamaica. So the reason I stayed in Jamaica is because of Garth Enriquez. He actually died. R.I.P. Garth Enriquez, he, he passed away a couple of years ago now. Wow. Yeah. Really, it was like a really. It, it, it wouldn't. It was really a big influence and a big reason why. He's the reason why I got to stay in Jamaica. Mm. And he's a reason. He introduced me to a lot, a lot of people in Jamaica, and we had a lot to relate to because we was both in that situation together. Mm. You know, and he he really wanted to see me do well. And he saw me um, do that in the prison. And my cellmates thought he was talking shit. He was like, he ain't going to phone you. Because he got released two weeks before me. Mm. And he's arranging with me because he's like... My thing was really messy because I avoided the British Embassy. Mm. Now, the British Embassy come to the prison every six weeks. And I wasn't going to see them because... In my mind, it's like I must have knew. I, don't, like, I didn't want to go back to England. I wanted to stay in Jamaica to do my music. And, and it was a bit of a funny situation with me. So every time the British Embassy come, I didn't go. So all, every, every British citizen in the prison, there's how the British Embassy's there, all the Brits will get up and go over to the section to see the British Embassy. And you have to go to see the British Embassy because they're the ones that arrange your plane ticket to get flown home i don't know if you're using the same, same thing yeah, same right same, okay right? you know the situation yeah. so me like an idiot every time the british embassy come i sit in my cell like that i laugh fuck them <laughs> i don't want to see them <laughs> fuck them so i avoid the british embassy every time they come <laughs> the only brit
0: i knew prisoners who faked being british just so they could go and speak to someone from the british embassy <laughs> i'm there i don't want to know <laughs>
1: I don't know what's wrong with me. I don't want to know. I'm telling you, this is the truth. It's obviously the break. I don't want to go and see them for. I don't want to see them. Until the time was getting close. Now, I know where my sentence is up, right? So it's getting closer to my sentence being up. But no one's given me a date. I haven't got a date or anything yet. And I didn't know you get the date from the embassy. I didn't know that. So I'm going around the fucking jail, I'm going round the prison, I'm going to the warders, and I'm saying, I'm out soon! And he's going, nah, you got loads of time left, We talking about? I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about i got loads of time left? I said, I'm out soon! He said, you ain't. He said, what do you mean I ain't? I'm out soon, bro. He said, nah, no, man, you have a leap of time left. And then so I was so like, it's coming to a point where there's like two weeks left of my sentence, and no one knows know nothing. <laughs> It was the most stressful time of the sentence for me, ever. Because I'm running around. I'm waking up every day and I ain't got no release date.
2: Mm. My time's
1: running out, I don't know, no one don't know nothing. There's, remember, this is 2001, there's no computers in there. Mm. They, the, the, their style of prisoning is ancient, no one don't know anything. Mm. I'm going up to people, I'm going up to the offices, I'm, going, I'm asking every warder in the prison, I'm asking the main warders, I'm saying, listen, my date's coming up to release and no one can't help me until one warder says to me, you got to find that out from the British Embassy. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, what? He says, you got to ask the British, the British Embassy sorts that out for you. And I said, you're joking, i I've been avoiding the, he's a woman. I've been avoiding the bitch for fucking six months. <clears throat> he said, why? I said, I don't know. <laughs> so by luck, would you believe by luck, the British Embassy was on holiday in Jamaica with her mother. Wow. By the grace of God, she was on holiday in Jamaica with her mother and she came to the prison to visit me and me only. <laughs> and she said to me, you're so lucky because I'm um, actually, she was dropping her mum back to the airport or something and she said she just got the news that, about my situation and she actually came to see me. Because without
0: a plane ticket, you get sent to the romance centre. Deportation. I went to go for deportation, yeah. Yeah. So I got released into a deportation prison.
1: You got released into a deportation prison? Me
0: and a b- bunch of Mexicans, yeah. Wow. Yeah.
1: I was, Me- prison, was it a Mexican prison?
0: No, this is Arizona. So they're deporting. <laughs> and one English guy and loads of Mexicans are getting sent back to Mexico.
1: Okay. And, and okay. Yeah, and yeah. you got sent to the Mexican prison with the Mexicans?
0: Well, it was a deportation camp. Right. But I was the only English deportee. Right, because it's mostly Mexicans that they're deporting. Of course. Yeah, yeah. So you're one of the only English guys. But I did pick up some Spanish, so I was translating for them for the guards and stuff. That's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. That's crazy. In
1: the Jamaican, it's like the the British embassy sort out your plane ticket, Mm. which your family have to pay for. And if and this is why you have to see the British embassy from early, because not everyone's family can afford the ticket. Mm. So if you can't afford the ticket, they arrange, they arrange to sort out the ticket for you. Without the ticket, you won't be released. So what happens with the ticket, obviously the, the immigration will come and take you from the prison to the airport, mm-hmm. straight on the plane. Without the ticket, you get sent to the remand Centre mm. until your ticket gets sorted out. So even though, I, even though I wanted to stay in Jamaica, I still had to buy a ticket in order to be released.
2: Mm.
1: So we still had to buy a one-way ticket from British Airways going back to England, which I never ended up using, mm-hmm. obviously, because I stayed in Jamaica. But without that ticket, we can't. I'm sent to the Center. Mm. So by the grace of God, I got all of that sorted out. And um, and, and I, got, I got the ticket, and my dad bought the ticket for me. And then my, I got my release date. And Sean Paul's father phoned me. The, my cellmates thought he was only, because there's a thing called prison talk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they thought it was all prison talk he was giving me. Mm-hmm. But he actually he phoned me straight away and he arranged with a guy called Roy Francis who had some immigration friends. Who Roy Francis, oh, big up Roy Francis, he owns the biggest studio in Kingston, one of the biggest studios called Mixing Lab, who Garth, Sean's dad, is very good friends with. And they arranged between the two of them to, for the immigration to make me stay in the country, to to work on my music. Wow. Yes, and it was like amazing. So without, Short, without Garth, I, w- I don't know how that would have happened. I would have been deported.
0: Wow. Mm. And you ended up performing to audiences as big as 70,000 people? Yeah. Holy shit, How's that feel?
1: That was amazing. That's like one of the biggest, like of the biggest moments of my life up yeah. to today, yeah. Musically, definitely.
0: Just electric, is it? The, the vibe?
1: It was unbelievable because that's an event I grew up watching, mm. like Sting. I don't know if people are familiar with it. It's like the equivalent of like a one-night reggae Glastonbury show. It's like the equivalent of Glastonbury for a one-night show in reggae dance or music. It's like what you said, 60, 70,000 mm. people. The vibe there is amazing. And it just felt like this is all meant to be because I, like, I, I got booked for that event three months after being released from prison. Mm. You know, and, and like and there's artists out there who's been in the business for like 10, 20 years and can't get booked for that event. Mm. So it was such a massive accomplishment for me, and I did it two years in a row. Yeah, two years in a row. That 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 was like that made me who that set the pace for me, and really made me who I am as, as an artist and threw me in the deep end very early in my mm. career as well, where I had to go and perform to such a massive crowd, and it yeah. was like the start of my career as fresh well. Out as fresh out, well. fresh out of jail. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: On the day of your release, yeah. What kind of like? adjustments did you make then was it like a reverse adjustment thing and were you like relaxing a bit because you're no longer around all these dangerous people or and was it like traits you maintained from from prison
1: yeah yeah you know what my thing wasn't relaxing because i tell you something because i knew i had this whole adventure ahead of me mm. A whole mission ahead of me. So it was more than just getting released for me. It was like, what is in store for me now? Because I'm about to stay in Jamaica and a lot of things were going around in my mind. And also while I was in prison, they was trying to rob my father in England. So my father's life was been put out of the risk because he was, like I said, my father to finance the whole situation was selling weed mile a minute yeah. in England. And the, where, like where I'm in Hackney is a very tough area and everyone mm. a lot of rubber man and they got the gist that this old Greek man mm. is turning over thousands and thousands of pounds a day in weed so he became a target
2: mm.
1: of nearly every rubber man in Hackney really? who thought they could because they think it's, a, it's an easy rob because they mm. thought it's an old Greek guy mm. oh let's go and rub the old Greek guy he's moving weight around there He's an easy rob. They didn't know that he's a, he's an he's a ex-commando. He killed them. But looking on the outside, they think, oh, let's just grab a strap. We'll go and rob this guy. It's easy. It never ended up to be so easy. So, so they tried, did they? Five times. Five times. Five times. So while I'm in prison, now these things would never have been going on if I was there, mm. obviously. But they've taken the chance now because... I'm not there. they see the, him by himself. They know the situation. They know I'm in prison in Jamaica. He's over there by himself. and he phoned me he phoned me um one night in the prison. he was, it was fun because' you know, like my dad's a, my dad's a warrior and he, and to him it was like fun initially. He was like, "Oh they, they come to rob me. I disarmed them." he says. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah. What a guy.
1: Yeah, unbelievable. Brilliant. The thing is with him, the way I became to worry is that we had a massive gate on our house built on the door, Mm. obviously, for safety reasons. And I'm like, why did you let them in? He said to me, as soon as I saw them, I knew they came to rob me. I'm like, if you knew they came to rob you, why did you let them in the gate? Because you've got this big, massive gate. You've actually got to open this gate and let them in. The house, we've got a three bedroom house <laughs> at the time. Yeah? And he's got a big gate. You ain't got to let him in. You've got cameras on the gate, everything. You haven't got to let them in. I, he says, I knew they came to rob me. I says, why'd you let them in? I want the challenge. <laughs> I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake. So this is his mentality. And I was like, oh my God. And he actually did really want the challenge, and he let them in and he he, he tried they was he disarmed he disarmed the few few of the guys that come to rob him one time they came to rob him he had he had a girlfriend of his upstairs who Anita and they came in the house, four of them, and they acted like they was going to buy something and two of them ended up running upstairs and hitting his girlfriend, demanding where the drugs are. Where's the drugs? Where's the weed? Where is it? As soon as he hit, hit, hit her and he, she screamed out, he had a machete in the bread bin in the kitchen. So he's standing in the, next to the bread bin with the two guys there. As she screamed out, he's busted the drip down. He's taken out the machete and he's sliced, gone to chop and he's nearly chopped off one of their hands. So the blood's gone everywhere. They've run out. The two guys upstairs are scared to come back soon as they run through the window. Yeah, so two of them run through the window. One of them's run out of the thing. The one of them with the guns dropped the gun. Now the one with the hands dropped the gun. His, his, his girlfriend come down. The gun, the clip's come out the gun. She's chased him down the road with the gun with no clip. <laughs> and all of them, Wow. And this was, this was like a regular night at my house. <laughs> and then I'll never forget, cause like- we,
0: Hackney. Hackney,
1: it's crazy. And then I'll never forget. Cause he said there was three bullets in the clip and there was three of us. They wanted to kill all of us, he said. So he's like, this is a regular, until what happened? Like that was fun saying it until he phones me up and they kept doing it. They kept trying him. Mm-hmm. And then he got fed up, because he phoned me up one night and he says to me, Fido, can you call me Fido, my name, my Greek name, Nelfitos, Fido for short. He said, Fido, I'm fed up. If they come again, I'm going to kill them. And I was like, oh, shit. And he he meant it. And and the thing is, I didn't want him to do that and get himself into a situation where he's going to kill someone and go to prison for a long time, Mm. or... Something else bad could happen. They might get the better of the situation, and he can get hurt. It's really so. Like I was, so my mind at the time, I was really, 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 really stressed out in the prison because of this reason. Because of this reason. Because of like, I knew they was taking advantage of my father. I was really worried about all of that situation, and it felt like I've got to make like see my music career, and I stayed over there to do. To build a music career and start a career. So it's like my I I I was in a place like I was on like I'm on like autopilot to doing this. And I didn't I have to do it. And I was doing it for, like, if I don't do this, I'm letting my father down. Mm. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm letting everything down. That's how I felt at the time. So it, it, it no longer turned into me being happy to come out of prison or me being happy to be released, or me being happy for everything. It was just me on a mission to do this in Jamaica now, i like to do, to, to make a success of my music career in Jamaica. You understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And that's, that was my whole mission and my whole goal and always has been up to today. You understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That was my whole mission and goal and just made it like, I can't afford to go wrong. I can't afford to not do well. I can't afford to not, I've got to, I've got to do this Properly, I'm, I have to make this work because I didn't have no choice. So my mind was like that, you know. So I was like, "My, what's in front of me? A whole world of adventure and danger, or whatever it is, you know." So it's a whole different story. So, like to be honest with you, the prison was more comfortable for me than that because in the prison, there's nothing. You understand what I'm saying? What are you gonna do in prison? There's nothing. You just gotta worry about keeping yourself safe. But the whole the whole anxiety of thinking about what's gonna happen next was more more even parent more more fucking dis- disturbing than the prison because of everything was going on and like i have to make this work and i have to stay in jamaica i'm gonna stay in jamaica and make this. i didn't want to go back to england and fall into the same pattern i was already in i already Tried to smuggle what I was already doing. It was, I was in a, a go-nowhere zone, you know what I mean? I was just trying to be Tony Mantana at fucking ganja in Hackney. And I was just... Friend at the time, friends around me are getting killed left, right and centre. It wasn't a good look for me at that time. So I just really was important to me to, to stay and make something of myself.
0: A lot of people get out they got no direction exactly. they got no plan. No plan. It sounds like music was your salvation?
1: Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Big time. Powerful? Powerful.
0: Yeah. Big
1: time. Big time.
0: But then there comes a point where your dad gets busted. Yes. Mm. Yeah. What year was that? What happened?
1: Well, he was getting busted. He was getting raided because Bless him, he done so well. He done so well. He probably hustled Better than I ever, so, in sense of how much he did it. But he didn't, he, he, he sold to anybody. He sold to anybody. So he ended up, like, his turnover, he was doing, like, £10,000 a day turnover in £10 drawers. Wow. No joke. A lot of fucking, and could you imagine, the, the house was running, like, a sweet shop. <laughs> it's a sweet shop. And he had a thing he was selling to... Any and everybody, he didn't give a fuck who the customer was as long as they had money. To me, it was like he was selling bananas. It was like, I don't care, is it peanuts, whatever it is, this is what we're selling? Okay, cool. It's for sale. Come buy it. Do you understand what I'm And we're right behind, remember this is in Stoke Newton, behind Stoke Newton police station. Right behind the police station.
0: And may I remind you? I used to have a girlfriend at the Stock Newton. Really? Yeah, it's it's um yeah I enjoy it at Stock Newton yeah mm-hmm. it's the Thai restaurant and the eclectic yeah. mix of shops and people yeah 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 yeah, yeah. it's got a buzz yeah you know the you know the police station right? But I can't remember where the police station was. Okay, no, no. it's on
1: the high road it's before the Thai restaurant. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's actually one of the biggest police stations. It's, it's nearly as big as Scotland Yard. Really. It's massive. So that was probably good cover though because the cops would probably think no one's got the balls to do this. (laughs) Yeah, no,
1: no. Exactly. No one's that stupid. No one's that stupid. But it was too... uh, Like, it was selling to everybody. So every the cars outside the Mm. house, the queues, the baby mothers with prams.
2: Mm. Like,
1: everything you (laughs) imagine is there. Like... It was unreal. Mm. So it was only from, it was only gonna happen. He was gonna get raided. He was gonna get locked up. It was only it was only a matter of time mm. before that happened. To be honest with you, and what 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 happened was is that he got raided loads of times. Like it's when they caught him with enough to sentence him. Mm. You know, I a few times they didn't catch enough or whatever, and you know he he was they was on to him. For a long time, I think he got raided about five times. Mm. You know what I mean? He got raided loads of times. And then when you get raided that many times, that's when you're a real target of the police as well. And they had a whole operation on us. It was called Operation Tugger. (laughs) Like it was a whole operation on us at the time (laughs) because they actually, it actually seemed more than what it was it was actually seen more than what it was, even though it was just weed. Yeah. It was so, we were selling so much of it and there was so much activity, mm. they thought it was hard drugs as well,
2: mm. which
1: i never dealt hard drugs in my life. But it, it was easy to see, look on the outside and you'd think, yeah, this is something, you'd think some sort of hard drug business was going on, even though it wasn't.
0: It's like a one-stop shop. Yeah, it looked like yeah, a one-stop
1: yeah. shop, exactly. Mm. That's why it was like that, you know? Mm. So obviously he, he got locked up he eventually getting locked up, but that
0: was that was a that what, was a, what year was that? He
1: got locked up in two thousand and five, if I remember correctly.
0: And you got released in two thousand and two. Yeah, two thousand two. So you had a f- so, and then you, you came home then to support your dad. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah How did that feel then? Did you go visit him and stuff? Yes, of
1: course. Yeah, yeah, yeah I did. I did. It was heartbreaking because what happened was that um, I came so far in Jamaica and I became the hottest. Young act in Jamaica. Yeah, in the space of a year and a half, Mm. but even in the space of six months, I got booked on Sting and everything, and I became Mm. such a, I became such a, I I got got offered a record contract from one of the biggest producers in Jamaica Mm. called Steely and Cleve. R.I.P. Steely died in two thousand and nine. He was like, he's like the equivalent of Dr. Dre Mm. in dancehall. So I had a record contract with Steely ready to sign, I, the, I the whole streets in a frenzy, and then my dad got locked up and I had to fly back. Mm. And it's like I had to go and start all over again, because the Jamaican community knew me and they knew what I'd done, but England, it was like, they didn't know me, Like so I, I would have made such a big name for myself over there and done so well, mm. and it felt like it was just a few more months and I would have had done something crazier, mm. you know? But then I was forced to come back and thrown in the deep end again with the hustling, which was the hardest part as well. So I'm still trying to... I, said, I can't stop being the artist. I've got to carry on my music career mm. and and do all of that. But I was thrown in the, in the deep end, back into the deep end with the juggling because we're in crazy debt. You know, I, I left us in debt before we went. You know, I've got a mortgage on the house. You know, so... Um, As much as the money you're making, we are spending a lot. It's not cheap to survive in Jamaica. You understand what I'm saying? Mm. And then when you smoke weed like me, you can't really make that much profit out of it anyway. (laughs) Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And um, I was thrown back in the deep end now. So I built my studio in the house. The first thing I did when I come back was built my studio and started shooting... The music video on Channel U was just coming around at the time and I put a video on Channel U and it blew up and I ended up getting called The Surf. Mm. Uh, I put a couple videos on Channel U and they ended up getting popular and I ended up getting a record deal with Jetstar over here. Mm. So I ended up getting a record deal over here and and making some good money out of it eventually. But I was thrown back into the deep end with the hustling, which is what I didn't want to do. Mm. So it was like I was staying in Jamaica looking for a number one song or something. I was like, I can't come back without it. I don't want to go back and hustle. And it felt like I was this like 12, close.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know? I was tasting it and everything. I'm yeah. tasting yeah, it, yeah.
1: I'm tasting it. You know, and wow. I, the last thing I want to do is come back and start weighing up fucking weed <laughs> uh, back in Start Newton again. Mm. Do you understand what I'm saying? Mm. So it's like, but I was forced to do that and come back and do that, and then get back involved with the street life and put myself into create. And then we got and then dad got let out of prison. And we got raided again. And like, and probably the biggest raid of my life then. I got raided with like 18 keys of weed and four keys of skunk. And it put me in loads of debt with some gangsters. And I was in debt for years. And, it like, and this is in the middle of my career starting to take off over here. So it's like, as I got the deal, I was dealing with a whole new bunch of problems that I've encountered over here now. Did you beat that case? What, for the The weed? And the skunk? Well, not really. No, the police nicked it.
0: Um, <laughs> biggest mafia? Biggest mafia. Yeah. yeah.
1: So, if you want to call it beating it like that, yeah. <laughs> Twi- I remember sitting in the interview room and there wasn't even space to fucking sit with the amount of weed in there. And we went to court and they charged us for 1.5 keys. Mm-hmm. And what caused the biggest problem is when they charge us for 1.5 because all of this weed is on consignment. The people that gave it to me on consignment thought I was lying. Yeah. And then they start putting, and then they want, in, and, this, and this whole money added up to like forty, fifty pounds pounds debt. Mm. I'm in with these people, and they started threatening my life for the money, and then I started threatening their life, and it was back and forward with that. So there was a whole situation because they thought I was lying. Mm-hmm. And then I got booked again for Sting. I done Sting two years in a row. And when mm. I got booked again for Sting, I'm back in Jamaica, and they thought I've robbed them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So they thought, "Oh, you were well, you doing that in Jamaica?" And they went, they were, they said, they was at the court, and I only got nicked for 1.5 keys. What happened to the 18? Ask the police. What happened to the
0: 18? They thought you were spending their money. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So this whole new problem. Is, is that all that beef squash now, then? Yeah. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you like the challenge though of rise, having you know, having to rebuild? Yeah. Did you enjoy that challenge, or was it or did it frustrate you a bit? Yeah, it's always
1: frustrating. Mm. It's always frustrating, but I I think it makes us who
0: we are. Yeah.
1: It makes us who we are. I, I, I I'm I strive under pressure because I, I'm built like that. So mm. I think if it's not a challenge, it's boring, mm. isn't it? So I think because I'm so used to it as well, I suppose. But this is life, isn't it? Life hmm. is not in any situation. Life is not perfect, is it? Life, I think, oh, if life doesn't present definitely. you a challenge, something's not right.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> even just to just today, yeah, coming yeah. today, you to said there was a flood in the motorway, That's and what James said. and you know, it's, it's <laughs> just little yeah. things. Did, did you see like just little you got things? Got stuck, didn't you? I mean, you, yeah, you were, did. You go through it as well. Same thing. Yeah. I nearly had to get the dinghy boat. Out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, life presents you with challenges. Yeah. Like you can wake up in the morning and there's a new challenge that's mm. presented to you, you know. Like, so uh, this is life. I mean.
0: So these big successes then in music, how did you stay grounded? Because you don't strike me as egotistical. No. So how, a lot of people have got swept away by that attention.
1: Because I know what I'm in it for. I'm not. I'm not in it for the egotistical thing. Like what you said. Um. i I've. I've this is. This is. Um. Something that I'm very, very appreciate. I can do and. 'm very I'm very grateful I can do music mm. and i've come from a place where like what i said i'm doing this for from for from my when my career started because of the hardship that I was presented in and what my father was going through and this is making my my dream into reality so no matter how much success i'll get or what I do in music it doesn't make me egotistical to be honest with you i'm very happy i mean I consider myself I mean, I'm egotistical like that. I think I'm the greatest artist in the world, yes. But not an egotistical person like that, no, because I'm just grateful to do it. I'm just grateful to do it. And I know what it means. And I don't believe, like, it's just like any other job that you're good at. I'm good at music. Mm. I'm good at what I do. You you understand what I'm saying? And I know what I'm good at. And I, and I, and I love doing it. You know, and I don't believe in egotistical shit. Mm. I don't believe in it. It just it doesn't, I don't think that, it says a lot about the person as well.
0: Yeah. What do you want from life now? Happiness. What's your definition of happiness?
1: No stress. No stress. <laughs> no stress. Yeah. I mean, happiness is the main thing in life because yeah. you can have money, you can have um, all these things, and I know millionaires that commit suicide.
0: Mm, totally.
1: You know, there's, yeah. uh, you know, there's, there's, so what is money?
0: Did you appreciate the small things now after going through all that? Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. The magic of the ordinary. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: I really do appreciate the small Mm -hmm. things. That's why I have
0: to learn, I have to be humbled. You have to be. Exactly.
1: (laughs) I appreciate the small things. That's probably why I'm not so egotistical like other people who's in this business because of what I appreciate. I appreciate it.
2: Yeah.
1: I appreciate it. You know, and and, and I couldn't, there's many ways that I might not have been here to do it. Mm. You know, and I, I really appreciate it. And I don't take it lightly. Yeah. Either. I don't take it lightly. And, and I never forget why I'm here and why I'm doing it or where I started. Mm. You know, and like, we're all, we're all human. No man is bigger than another man. Mm-hmm. You know, I never believe that. I don't believe no man is bigger than another man. No man's problem is bigger than another man's problem. You know, I think we're all you know, there's no reason for someone to be egotistical, or oh, that one's done this, or this one's got that. Oh, mm-hmm. It's neither here or there, isn't it? It's the
0: little yeah. things in life that's more important. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And happiness in the heart. In the heart? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So, for the people watching this, if you've been as gripped as I have for the, the past two hours, um, how can the people support you? We'll have all your links below the video. Thank you so yeah, much. Yeah. You can
1: support me by checking out my YouTube channel, subscribe to my YouTube channel, Tug of War. Follow me on Spotify. Check out my latest album, Contemplating War. Check out my latest music videos. we got Frostbite Films and the whole gang. Let's like these tug movements in the building. Follow me on Instagram. I'm really entertaining on Instagram. i keep up. we got Mama War. Follow me and Mama War. My mum, my she goes by the name of Mama War. She's known worldwide. She, she cooks some amazing food, by the way. Wow. And um, great bake as well. Mm. And she posts up all of it. And we do little videos every day together. And we got loads of people that, so I, I'm, really, I'm really grateful for the small things in life yeah. I'm really grateful yeah. for the small things in life and people know me, I just keep it real, I'm just myself in every situation, you can only be yourself mm-hmm. in this world, you know Yeah. so like, follow me on the Instagram, on the Twitter, at Tuggawar, T-U-G-G-A-W-A-R <laughs> check out the music all of that stuff
0: if you want to come on the podcast <laughs> yeah. and you're thinking, how do I tell a story, we've had a masterclass today <laughs> and um, just so charismatic, the voice inflection, the gesticulation, everything just spot on, brilliant. So, if you've enjoyed this as much as me, let us know in the comments. Huge thank you to all the new subscribers, subscription logos in the corner of the screen. Also, shout out to Christian Morgans. I can't forget Christian, You <laughs> got myself Christian. His yes, yeah, Christian's, Christian Christian's YouTube channel, as well as tug of wars will all be in the description box below the video. Shout out to James coming out to film. We've got getting stuck in the water. We got
1: James,
0: man. And most of all, shout out thanks. to Tug War for coming in. Give us, a, give us a hug for that. Yeah, it, yeah. It, yeah, it, yeah. It Thank you, man. Well done. Superb. Yeah, thanks. Awesome. Really Brilliant.
1: A pleasure, man. It's been a pleasure. <laughs>